Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Square Ball Podcast. Well, welcome to Podcast 127. I'm Dan Moylan. With me, Michael Normanson. Hello. <laughs> Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hi there. We wandered on last time's very excitable, adrenaline fueled podcast off the back of the Sheffield Wednesday victory. Just how we knacker this season up. At least we know now, and we will get into that in some detail in a matter of moments. Quick word then, round the final bend of the season and round the bends overall, but we still have a final issue 10 fanzine to bring to you. To close out the season, it's going to be available for the Villa game and the playoff semi-final home leg. An unexpected bonus for everyone. <laughs> yep. Two games to buy out. Not, well, not one, not one anymore, but two. Brimful of all the positivity you'll need as we go into the playoffs. Hey, and if you fancy checking that out on your phone or your tablet, 10 years worth of issues, including that current one, via the digital subscription, that's the best, the cheapest, the most cost-effective way to get your hands on it. Works out a quid a month. And all the articles from the new issue will go onto the website in happy web form, so you can look them on your phone, or you can download the mag and have a look at how it was in- how God intended it to look on this Easter weekend in the uh, in the proper layouts. All at thesquareball.net. Well, we've dived straight into the studio after the Brentford game at the end of what was a thrilling Easter weekend that has uh, killed our automatic promotion hopes, or has it? Well, yes, Moscow is maintaining some daft thing that Norwich haven't gone up because we could still overturn a 12-goal difference or whatever well, stupid amount it is. Whether Norwich are up or not is irrelevant. We can still be automatically promoted. We can still technically win the league. That's not gone. Admittedly, it's unlikely. But second place is not beyond us. It is. It's not. They play Ipswich. Sheffield United play Ipswich. Next. And so do we. Not next, they don't. By the time we play Ipswich, Sheffield United have already gone up. But we have an easy game as well. <laughs> Villa have not lost in uh, since the 1996 Coca-Cola Cup final. I don't know. There's just something about the events of this weekend that makes me absolutely convinced, resolute and certain we are going to be in the Premier League next season. Whether it's automatic, whether it's the playoffs, Leeds United are going up. Na 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 na, etc. etc. Leeds are going up. It's happening. I think we're coming back from this. This is the nadir. This is the low point. This is the worst. This is terrible. It's horrible. I want to die inside, outside, upside and down. But it'll all be worth it in the end. Leeds are going up. Absolutely fine. Hell of an ending for the documentary as well. Hell of a story arc, this one, because we are in the pits of despair at the minute. So let's pick over the bones of this Easter weekend then. And I guess before we get to Brentford, it all went wrong on Friday versus Wigan. Possibly the most Leeds United thing that Leeds United could have done in Leeds United's entire 100-year history. I don't really know what to liken it to. It felt more like a, a tragic life event than it did a football match. It brought to mind a few things. One was like a failed relationship of uh, when I was about 21, where it ends and you think, oh my God, I can't believe this actually happened. This isn't how it was meant to end. Um, and then another thing was when more recently I put a nail through a pipe. It was under a floor and you sort of put it through and you hear a noise and you think, it's mm. not water, is it? It is. It is. That's not good, is it? That's not good. This is everything's go. Everything's gone wrong now. What happened with the pipe? Just have interest. Um, I, I had like a wet and dry vacuum cleaner thing. I managed to sort of hoover up a lot of the water. There were marks. There was drippage. It was my birthday as well. It all went. Hard. I think that was the thing. It was on my birthday, and you, know, you think this 
this can happen. This isn't very fair, is that's it? A, that's a very good metaphor for this match is hoovering up water on your birthday. <laughs> it's probably, it's lucky you didn't get an electric shock. It would have been a welcome, uh, a welcome break for me during the Wigan match. To Toasting bread in the bath on your birthday. I mean, we were really good. We weren't really. Apart from the scoring goals part and also the, um, the going one nil up and then just acting as if we were already promoted part. That's probably where this game burned and then turned was after Bamford had scored a very, very good goal. It seemed like Leeds went kind of like, oh, well, with a goal behind us, we're going to win and we're playing a team that's basically bottom of the league. So they suddenly, it's like, you could almost see them thinking about the goal difference factor. And they're like, oh, right, well, we'd better try and score 10 against these because they're down at 10 players and we could be, you know, we could really make a, a big dent in, in the automatic promotion stuff. And that was possibly, that was a big, big part of our undoing in this match. It was almost like we started Leeds in it up with the missed penalty. Then we scored so quickly afterwards. It was like, oh, no, actually. Yeah. Mm. We, we were lulled into a false sense of security. That's out of the way now. Yeah. I mean, and they're down to 10 men, so... We win piss. Yeah, we win this. Piece of piss. This is done. Yeah. And we weren't really great from the start. There was a lot of the, the players. What then became more apparent is that the players just weren't passing to each other well. They weren't doing it. They just weren't doing it right. And you could see that. Do you know the phrase that sprang to mind today watching it? And I think what we saw today against Brentford was probably just a follow on from that. The, the early confidence uh, drained after the chances were missed and, it, and then we conceded the goal. Lost the mojo. That's the only way I can describe it because the whole Wigan game defies analysis in many ways, I think. The one analysis I've been able to bring to it is to compare it to Bielsa's history because there's a bit, it's a bit of reassurance and also complaint with, uh, with having Bielsa as your boss is that he's been through a lot of this before, but then you also have to realise actually when he's been through it before, it ain't worked. So Argentina in the 2002 World Cup is a game that I'd, I'd had in mind for a while. They were brilliant in qualification. They finished top of a 10 team league scored more than 2.3 goals per game qualifying for the World Cup, went there with uh, Batistuta, they had Kanija on the bench, Ariel uh, Ortega, Pablo Aymar, all these players. They scored two goals, a free kick and a penalty, and they got knocked out in the, the deciding match against Sweden, in which it was exactly the same as the Wigan game, where it was just chance after chance, cross after cross, opportunity after opportunity, and Gabriel Batistuta could not score against um, Sweden. And Patrick Bamford could not score. Well, he did score one, but he couldn't score two against Wigan. So an interesting tweet. You know, Derek Corcoran of uh, Radio Leeds fame, he uh, tweeted something this afternoon about being gutted and his fears for the playoffs. Because Bielsa's game is a percentage game and it works more often than not, but seems to fall down in the big games. Is that a fear? Is that what's happened as the fear crept in and maybe this is it? I think the thing for me is it falls down in the small games. Wigan at home is a small game. West Brom at home, big game, and we absolutely dicked them. There have been games where it has worked really quite nicely. It's the, the games that are going to cost us at the end of the season, when I look back at it, I think Wigan at home, QPR away, Birmingham twice. These are not good teams at all, and we've completely choked against them. That's why I thought today against Brentford we would be absolutely fine because I thought all right we'll lose against Wigan but we'll do that West Brom comeback one of the biggest pressure games of the season was Derby at home because it had the whole 24 hours of Spygate building up to it and everything just felt like it was like chaos ramping up we went out and we absolutely battered them and I thought today would be that repeat like we'll just respond to the Wigan defeat and we'll just come back bang not quite so where has it gone wrong? And I know we don't want to do a season post-mortem yet, but we might as well get it out of the way now so it's done in time for the playoffs. What ha- what's gone wrong? Why, why have the wheels fallen off? I was saying on the way, we've been at the uh, pub watching this game beforehand, which has not, not been not been an enjoyable experience. No no fault of Moscow's. But I was saying on the way down here, we're no good when we're so not... Don't run the pub. <laughs> it's the Brudenell Social Club. We had a very nice time. We did have a nice time. It was, an, it was a very Apart nice time. Apart from the football. But we're no good when we're not in control of a game. And that's the way it went today. If if Bamford had taken one of his early chances, if we'd had the penalty that we should have had, we could have probably taken the lead and won that game. But sometimes games get away from us. And we did the same. The changes, that, much as on Friday, the changes we made at halftime made things considerably worse. Yeah, that roof um, substitution for Tyler Roberts did not make sense to me. And I was thinking, you've called that wrong, Marcelo. I know you've got, you know, 30 years of football experience and you're far better at this than I am. However... In both games as well. Mm. He's done it twice in a row now. And I think that's possibly why I have 
it's, it's not just optimism, it's all like total confidence that we're going to get promoted. Because if we just go back to what works, which is Roof as a striker, whoever playing behind, it doesn't matter. It's Roof at nine is the big thing that needs to happen now, is he just needs to start games and Bamford needs to sit on the bench and watch. Phillips back in. I think we start to get back to what, what was good. Because I think that I don't want to blame Bamford. He scored the goal against Wigan and he scored uh, the two goals to win the match against Preston and he's a bit hot and cold and he's doing fine. He's not doing anything like aggressively, horribly wrong. But the, the fellow's confidence isn't there. You could see it in the, the big penalty shout today. There shouldn't have been a question of it being a penalty or not because Bamford had about two or three chances to just put his boots through the ball and score a goal. Replacing with Roof, who will just put his boots through the ball and score a goal, and suddenly that comes back. We go 1-0 up early in a game and we don't worry too much about about whether Bamford's going to score or not. He just, we've got this fella up front who just does not look confident. We had a striker before. One thing you can say about Kimar Roof is he looks absolutely confident all the time, but it never looks like he's not going to score. Even if he's missed, he always comes back like, oh, okay, I'll get the next one. Bamford, you can almost see this crisis. It's like he's wouldn't like, I don't know, his fields haven't been tilled properly. Um, there's a, there's a, his stocks and shares are up and down. All this stuff got, you can read it in his face with roof. It's just like, yep, missed that one. Give me the ball again. I'll score the next one. And he did. He's our top scorer. And I think get back to it. Just go back to what works. Top scorer up front, best player at the back, Calvin Phillips. Forshaw didn't really do a lot wrong against Brentford today, but he's not Calvin Phillips. And yeah, Phillips and is Calvin Phillips. Apologies to the person who tweeted this, but I've only retained the memory of the tweet, but it was something along the lines of Adam Forshaw having the ability to cancel himself out of a game. He almost doesn't do anything wrong, but he doesn't really do anything right either. He's just there. Whereas Phillips makes things happen, he does those rangy crossfield passes, which to be fair, we've discussed this before when there was that debate about who should be in the side. And actually, you don't want to make Forshaw a scapegoat, but we lost today, didn't work on Friday. Earlier in the season, Sheffield United, Norwich games, we lost with Forshaw in the... Calvin yeah. Phillips role. And it's not about scapegoating anybody. It's not about saying like, oh, that, that person's to blame. This is going back to like, what I've got in my mind is, is Leeds losing the Manchester City match when they were going to win the league in 1992, 4-0 away at Main Road. And it, everybody thought, well, we haven't got enough games left. And uh, Howard Wilkinson sat down with Mick Hennigan over the weekend and they said, right, go through all our analysis, paper and pencil as it was then. Who are our best players? Which, when we, what are the things that we've done in the games when we've performed best and they just looked through that and went right that's what we'll do for the rest of the season we'll pick the best team the team that works and the team that we trust that's that's done this and I think the opportunity is there now for Bielsa we've got two league games left so we've got to if we win them both by the right score lines we win the league um, <laughs> but also get that momentum back going into the playoffs if it's the playoffs just start getting the team that works and if it's a team I think it's a team that doesn't have Bamford starting I think it's a team that doesn't have uh, Forshaw starting and that's not massively controversial that's just those are the players who do it It's also potentially a team without a left back now as well because Alioski went in off injured and Douglas is out for ever as far as we can tell We've got Stuart Dallas and I would Stuart almost, Dallas is, is a right winger. I would almost say <laughs> not a left back. If things are working properly around the rest of the pitch, the identity of the left back is almost irrelevant. If Bamford had either against Brentford whacked one of those early chances in or Keith Stroud, the and I call him a because as me and Michael were both sitting next to each other watching this match, we were both kind of separately making notes knowing that we have this and I've got a report to write on it. And Michael said to me, he's like, I've just written down that Keith Stroud is a What have I you wrote, written down? I wrote down pen on 16, Keith Stroud. And then smug reaction because he looked like, he looked pleased with himself after he'd done it. Like, I've got that right. And simultaneously, I had written down Patrick Bamford's uh, misses shot, Stroud. I also, did you write down, just to compare notes, mm-hmm. later in the game, I wrote Watkins is a times two. Uh, I think I'd kind of given up by then. It becomes... That was the dive, wasn't it? Because I thought the, the ref had given a penalty at that point. I almost wish he had given a penalty because yeah. it gives give us all the more reasons to hate the prick. <laughs> but I was hoping by the end, admittedly it was due to my state of mind watching this game, but I was hoping someone would stand on his neck and kill him. <laughs> but stuff like that. Which if... one, Keith Stroud or Ollie Watkins? Either. 
I'd have been happy with either. If we'd have been given that completely obvious penalty, then it's differently, you know. The he whole... was stood right in fucking front of it as well. There's a, a, the, the angle that he showed on TV, he was yep. stood, it was kind of a low angle on it, because, I mean, everything's low angle at Brentford because of the small stadium, but it, he was stood right behind it, like a yard or two away, it looked like. He's a Yeah. It's the only explanation for not giving us that penalty is he's a fucking his mother would say the same. And and those those kind of things are not going to us. And so this question of whether the players have the confidence and is the, the confidence draining out of them, you look at that kind of thing and just think, well, if we're not even going to get a penalty for that, and the last five minutes when we're, we're putting in crosses, was, <laughs> I'd given up by this point. I was in the car driving here. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, there's, there's this question of were the players like going right to the end, but you could tell the last five minutes in particular like they were trying, but you could see in their eyes, like, oh, this do, we're, yeah. we're doing our best here, but this isn't going to happen. We're not going to win 3-2. And you can't blame for that, but it doesn't help that we're not getting this from the, the referee and it doesn't help that we're not scoring goals. And it doesn't help that we're conceding easy goals because I think the first one straight through the middle, I think it was Dallas playing left back, um, who is a right winger. Good left played, back, you just said. That played not a problem, you said. Not a problem. If we'd have been two goals up by that point, it would have mattered. But I think he was playing them on, but then it was too easy for it. And we were treated at half time with the delights of Michael Brown criticising Pontus Janssen as if, oh, he does. What's, what's Pontus Janssen bringing here? What the fuck did you ever bring to Leeds United, Michael Brown? I mean, he had a point about his positioning, but anyway. I don't care about what, anything that Michael Brown says. And then the, um, and then the second goal just straight through the middle. Just, it shouldn't happen that way, but it, it wouldn't happen that way if we were um, finishing off these confident first 20 minutes in matches and putting ourselves in a position where this nonsense doesn't matter anymore. And it goes back to what you were saying, actually, Michael, about our failure to control games and let them get away from us. And that's one of the theories that you could apply to this. It's probably worth picking over some of the ideas that have come up briefly about what maybe has gone wrong, because this probably feels like the right place and time to do it. Not controlling games, not scoring first, missing easy chances. Uh, some of the other ones as well, though, not good enough. Do you think that's a, a fair criticism? We're third. So isn't the question not good enough for what? No, it's like Not if, good enough to finish in the top two. But it, I mean, if you finish, we might still finish in the top two. We might finish a point off. We might finish a couple of points off. Can't say we're not good enough to finish in the, the top two. I get what you're saying, but in relative terms to the automatic promotion, which is which was within our grasp and by the standards we had set ourselves, we've allowed those standards to slip. So I, w- I would argue there is some merit in that, particularly when you think, and it, I guess this is another one of the theories, the left-hand side has been weak. Like we've, we've spoken and we joked last time because it didn't matter at that point, but Alioski and Harrison's decision-making, consistently poor. And I think if you make better decisions about what to do with stuff, maybe we convert more of these chances and I know people say we don't take enough chances but we don't actually make that many clear cut ones do we mm, a lot of them are just I mean that's true but also what the winning goal against Sheffield Wednesday was Jack Harrison scoring a goal that came down the left and then um, Millwall as well uh, it was Harrison keeping the ball in on the left that then crossed it to Hernandez and also for uh, Ailing's equaliser came from the left as well so I'm not sure I told you but like it, w- it went really quite badly wrong against Wigan but I, th- I think our left side is not, it's not like our season long, like if we're looking for a reason why we we might not get automatically promoted, we can't say that the left-hand side of the pitch that contributed in the last month since the end of March has probably been responsible for the wins over Millwall and Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, but also how many has it cost us as well? Because the wins are coming from all over the pitch. I want, I want to throw an analogy actually at you, your own words, uh, which ever play you were referring to, but like a, a puppy con- trying to control a balloon. That's what Jack Harrison reminds me of a little bit. He's clearly got the quality, but he's, he's just almost full of nervous energy. And the number of times when you see the ball kind of spill out from under his feet or he loses control or he doesn't take it with him when he tries to go around the man and you just think all these opportunities and we seem to just waste them like that. And The game against Wigan, my main memory of it is just his him getting in reasonable positions. And admittedly it was due to Wigan defending well and putting huge numbers of people in the box. And they also, by this point, Wigan had, they were essentially only defending the box as well. There was no one pushing on wingers out wide. It was like, if you come within this area, we'll try and defend it. But other than that, you're free to do as you please. But Harrison's cross has just kept hitting the first man. And it felt like that's all I was watching for about 60 minutes of that game. And that would have been the last 60 minutes as well, because the first half hour when we were confident and on top, Harrison was really good coming in mm. from the left. Like he was dribbling into the box. He was causing absolute chaos in Wigan's box, just like taking it in and then trying to get a pullback, trying to get across. And it was after they'd equalised and then they scored, they went 2-1 uh, up on the hour. That's when it 
it started becoming more and more ragged. And so when we start a match and everybody's confident and they're out of the, uh, out of the dressing rooms, they're fine, they're confident. And then we, we can get these, uh, like the goal against Sheffield Wednesday and the goals against Millwall. But it's when it's not working for us, yes, that's when these players who are, what's Jack Harrison, 22 and Alioski, who is like mentally six, it just, <laughs> it starts to, uh, it starts to, to break down in those areas. They, they don't cope well Is that well dog years or human around. years? Well, <laughs> could be either. We'll, we'll find out one day. But my point regarding Harrison is because he is still young. And he's not actually got much experience of playing English football. It's not, it doesn't have the, I'm going to, I'm identifying his decision making. He doesn't have the nous and the experience. No. So that's why he's often running down these blind alleys and not taking the ball. It's not, you know, in the, um, the American nasal, whatever but it's then called. We, we replace him with Jack Clark, whose experience is basically the under 23s. And you saw him against Brentford and against Wigan. He's not been the answer. So I know, but again, he's not ready because he doesn't have the experience. And this is the problem is the squad perhaps. Too thin, too inexperienced. And it goes back to the transfers. I I think, hand on heart now, I, I think we probably have under-resourced Bielsa a little bit in terms of what we needed to get automatic promotion. Has he under-resourced himself? Well, I think so. I yeah. think it's all been his choice. I don't think there's ever been a, a situation where he's asked for a player and the club has said, we I, can't afford him. No, I don't disagree. But like, you look at like Dan James mm-hmm. and, and not having an alternative to Dan James. But then is that because we didn't have the resources to get alternatives I to Dan it's James? Well, everybody seems to say this because Bielsa wasn't interested in any other player. They offered him the guy at Bristol. Um, whose name escapes me now, who I'm sure would have, was going to cost less than Daniel James. Don't want him. There was one player Bielsa wanted for that, uh, the attacking position as it was Daniel James. The story, maybe we're just believing what the club wants us to believe, but all the way through it has been, do we have enough centre-backs? They're trying to convince him to buy another centre-back. He says, no. I mean, we ended up there with Adam Forshaw playing at centre-half, but he seems to be fine with that it's it's I would all say, been his choices during the Wigan game we could have done with another centre-back because Berardi and Janssen were horrendous the, mm. the amount of chance admittedly it's because we were pushing on and they were generally sort of scrambling back but they were awful they let they let them in on a few occasions and it's partly it's maybe just due to two players not playing together very often as much as it is they're having not centre-backs because they were very good against Sheffield Wednesday clean sheet they were but we also discussed Sheffield Wednesday and Fletcher being a complete pile of shit. But Whereas- scored a lot of goals. Like Sheffield Wednesday won game after game before they came to play us. Mm. There's kind of, there's no reason in that situation why Bielsa would think after they kept a clean sheet against a good attacking side in Sheffield Wednesday, you play two in attack. Are Berardi and Janssen going to be okay? They should be. The third option then is it's not really for sure playing. So it's Arpo Halme is his next one. And that's been his thing all the way through. He's been absolutely happy. He's like, well, if my centre-halves, if one of them's injured, I've got Halme. If uh, my wingers, if one of them's injured, I've got Clark. Maybe this is what the uh, the truth is of uh, Bielsa's burnout, because we're not looking at a team of players who look exhausted, perhaps mentally tired, but not physically exhausted. We're just realising that his reliance on a small squad and young players is perhaps... We could do, yeah, we could. Of course, we would have been better with Daniel James, the form he's been in for Swansea, but we haven't got him. And it's not through lack of trying. We had a deep, we had a, we'd bought him. He was here. He was in a lead shirt. He did an interview with Tom Kerwin. He did absolutely everything. I don't know what more we could have done to, to sign that player. Same with, we signed the goalkeeper that we needed, especially given that we are going to get promoted this season. It seems a little bit difficult to start picking these things apart at this point. Well, all that transfer chat teases up very nicely for this week's question, the one we're tackling in our other podcast, The Extra Ball, and it's this one from James. Of all the players we've been linked with over the years, which transfer rumours do you wish had come to fruition? Either because they would have been the missing piece at that time, because they would have been a great fit for Leeds United, or because they would have been one hell of a coup, see Diego Maradona. Cheers. Speaking of James's, Daniel James, that's one that immediately springs to mind. Maybe our season might have been different had uh, had we got that young man. Anyway, you will hear us tackle that one in the Extra Ball. It's our uh, subscription podcast. Subscribing to the Extra Ball, it helps support what we do right here and we can bring you more misery in the forthcoming weeks, months and years. Brilliant, yeah. Push us towards our goal of doing even more of this, more analysis, 
more hand-wringing, more tears and all that. $2.99 a month. Your first month is free. Check it out at thesquareball.net forward slash the extra ball. Well, if you happen to spot Marcelo Bielsa in the Weatherby Costa Coffee across the coming days, drinking a big old cup of tears. That's what we'll be drinking alongside him. Not like uh, Paul Butler, who you spotted in Costa Coffee in Knotsford in Cheshire. I feel it was uh, a portent of pain to come. What was he drinking? You said it was, uh, was it a uh, hot chocolate with mushro- uh, mushrooms? Uh, <laughs> what are they called, those things? Mushrooms. Those things, yeah. Similar, very similar. Yes, it was piled high with... That's what I tell the kids. Fungi. <laughs> and he's definitely not a fungi to be sharing the Costa Coffee shop with. Anyway, if you're a new listener, yeah, Moscow was over doing a family visit in Cheshire. Popped in for a nice Costa, sit down, do some highbrow writing, probably knowing you. And Paul Bottler was in there looking like an oversized member of Oasis. So we wondered- Very lowbrow from uh, Paul Butler compared to Mike. <laughs> that works. Somehow that works. Okay, we'll go with it. Um, we've had more coffee shop sightings. We wondered basically who you've seen and where you've seen them. But Jack Goodman, who is at Jack Goodman 94 on Twitter, worked for a year at Costa Coffee in Tadcaster, just down the road. And he served Luke Murphy, who had a caramel latte, Charlie Taylor, hot chocolate with cream and marshmallows, not mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Scott Wooton with a strawberry creamy cooler and a toasty. Left the table a mess though, which was very disappointing for Jack. Were they all together? Because that's a very complicated order for three people to go in and give. Can you imagine? Because you want, it's like, can we just have three coffees if you're working behind the, the counter in Costa? Not a strawberry creamy cooler. Like, oh, okay, I made a, and a toasty. A what? strawberry creamy cooler sounds like something footballer would buy because they're essentially an overgrown child <laughs> and they've never had to grow up and just drink coffee like a normal person. It's like an ice cream with a bag of sugar tipped in it and some strawberry syrup, basically. A yeah. cold a cold sugary drink and a hot sandwich. Like S- Scott Wooden, I know it's no surprise to anybody you saw him playfully tonight, did not know what he was doing. It's a, it's lucky. His, that, uh, his innards would be as much of a mess as his feet, eh? I'm just thinking about if Liam Cooper had been there, he probably would have left in an ambulance. He used to love a good headbutt on the old Liam Cooper, did Scott. I've got another one. Tommy F, LUFC, whose ass on Twitter is exactly the same, saw Matt Kilgallen at Piglets near York. And I, I'm enjoying reading this because I have absolutely no idea what Piglets near York is, means, what the concept... I've never been, but I've, I've seen it on those websites that tell you where to take your kids when you're at home. Days out with the kids type of stuff. That sort of shit, I, yeah. I deliberately actually didn't Google this when I uh, copied and pasted it onto this sheet, just because I wanted to see what you thought about it. Tommy does say that... No idea what uh, it is. ...that young Mr. Kilgallen looked thrilled to be in the kids' digger area. I love the idea that he's gone there, which is presumably some sort of kids' play area with outdoor diggers. I love the idea that he's gone there on his own. <laughs> Again, talking about oversized children, didn't know what to do. What shall I do? Go play Go play on the little toy JCBs. If they've got piglets and diggers, and also if it was toy JCBs, he would have been contributing to the Bamford family coffers. Um, piglets Adventure Farm, piglets.farmpark.co.com. Uh, it redirected me. Um, oh, wow. There's a video here. Meet our animals. We could do a separate podcast that Moscow uses the World Wide Web. That'd be great. Our animals are always pleased to see you. Get close to farmyard friends in the animal barn. We have exciting petting and feeding sessions every day for all the family to enjoy. You can stroke bunnies. Normally I'd say this was nonsense, but it's better than talking about Leeds against Brentford. (laughs) Exactly. I'm reading this. Uh, you can brush the resident coon coon pigs. They love this. And even milk a cow. Of all the things I could have spent my afternoon doing i could have either sat indoors in the dark watching leeds united lose to brentford or i could have been out there stroking a piglet and milking a cow speaking of um milking cows uh, <laughs> matt funbags saw yeah. a sam byron at bed nightclub back in 2013 i saw him enter with two girls but then he, he left by himself totally plastered was the lad which having seen him play for forest the other day i can quite believe because he, he was not the lad that left leeds which one is bed? Is that the one that was Gatecrasher at the top of town? I don't go to these places. I think it was, yeah. It's, it's now uh, like Brotherhood of Pastimes and Pursuits. They, uh, they, do you remember that they got shut down for, uh, I think it was either using false vodka or watering down their vodka or something? I think the yes, vodka was like, did. it was pure like um, spirits for cleaning <laughs> stuff. And they, they were, yeah, they were flogging it as a uh, grey goose or something. Does yeah. that explain something about maybe Sam Byram? <laughs> Blinding one eye, Sam Byram. <laughs> Hasn't told anyone. <laughs> Meanwhile, Piglet's Adventure Farm has a piglet maternity ward, home to expectant mums and piglets. God, why do we go there? Keith Stroud's probably been in there. Doing what? Impregnating <laughs> sounds. Are we, are we going with the Keith Stroud fucks pigs? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
great news that Ipswich have given us more tickets for the end of season finale promotion party, eh, Moscow? Oh, I can't wait. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that game because I think that's the game where we get confirmed as championship champions. First place finished and promoted to the Premier League. We so need only win it. Big, big day. 12 0. Yes. Well, biggest, I mean, probably going to be the. Well, it's going to be big because it's going to be our biggest ever win, eclipsing the Lynn Oslo result. Yeah. And then also the day we seal the title. Yeah, but Ipswich. Uh, if you've seen some clips, there was a, one of their fans did a, a compilation video, and this is your moment to hit me with the Bailey Peacock Farrell references of uh, their defending this season with Matt Pennington, not quite the star of the show at the heart of their uh, central defence because their goalkeeper, the one that Pablo Hernandez scored directly from a corner past last season, absolutely like possibly the worst goalkeeper I have seen. Bailey Peacock Farrell accepted before any of you wankers say anything. What have you been mean about BPF for? <laughs> I'm not being mean. I'm saying that I finally found a goalkeeper, a professional goalkeeper in this division who looks even worse than him. It's it's just like you watch these goals going in and you think, why haven't you just gone and go, like, where is Andy Lonergan? Just go and get Andy Lonergan and replace this this poor sod. But he will be there on the last day of the season. Leeds will score 14 past him because one, even once we'll pass the 12 that we need, put a few more in just for good measure and we'll be up as champions and the... Uh, the 4,000 people who were uh, lucky enough to get tickets will be very, very happy to be there. And the other people who bought uh, silver memberships and have got absolutely nothing out of their purchase will um, will just be glad that Leeds are in the Premier League as champions. Speaking of the Premier League, I'm delighted that we've put in for planning permission and all that business to get our new two extra weirdo floodlights that we need. That's, that came to light this week, didn't it? No pun intended. <laughs> Well, you've got to do these things to get them organised. In time. eight weeks is the uh, is the process for a, a planning application of this nature, unless it counts as a major development. It would, it would be thirteen weeks, but I think it will just be the eight. Um, so you've got to get that sorted out before you can put them up. <laughs> it's worth saying you used to work in the planning department, isn't it? I have some experience there. Yes, <laughs> um, they're forty-four meters high. Uh, is the proposal, which is just over half. What we had when we had the tallest floodlights in Europe. John Howe's excellent book about Elland Road, the only place for us, the A to Z of Elland Road. I found in there that uh, the old floodlights were 79.2 metres high. And I think I had to go researching or planning applications to find when they, uh, they asked for permission to put the Hesco Bastion protecting the troops adverts on the side of the east stand. They didn't have a measurement from ground to roof, but adding up the the various measurements on the plans. Ground to roof, about five foot six, five foot seven. I think Kima or Kama, I always get his name wrong and I apologise. I'm never going to get it right until we've sold him to Huddersfield at the end of the season. 34 metres, I think, to the roof of the East End. So these will be behind the West End and 10 metres taller than the top of the East End. So the very highest part of Elland Road will move from the East End to the behind the West End it'll be these floodlights hang on a second I thought am I mm. wrong in this where are they going to put them it's in the two corners on the West Stand is that yeah right? so it'll be behind the West Stand I'll tell you where they're going to put them fucking nowhere because we're <laughs> staying in this division and there's no point building them <laughs> we don't need special lights for you Harvey you but mind you he's going and he's not going to see the fruits of these lights to be fair once you've got planning permission there's normally like a three year implementation period so I look forward to seeing that lapse <laughs> Very much like the uh, the hotel plans that we once had that are, are no longer valid. The casino plans, although actually no, the hotel plans, the ice arena plans, because it's a matter. It would be a judgment call as to whether the offices that we put in with the Fabian Delft money constituted starting the planning permission for the hotel and the whole thing. Because if that was a start on site, then that means you can just go back and finish them off. So if we do want to just put in the nightclub that was going to be at the uh, the northeast corner and the uh, the hotel and the parade of shops that was going to be out the front of the east stand, all those things, we may be able to just do them. I cannot think of a worse place in the entire, entire universe to put a nightclub. I mean, never mind, obviously, out of town as it is, but on an industrial estate... You, in South Leeds, next to a motorway. Do you remember the floor plans? We had the floor plans for that nightclub, which were part of the public planning application, so you could look at them on the uh, the council website. And it was, it looked like a strip club, basically. There was just like a horseshoe-shaped bar with a stage in the middle, from what I remember. It just, it looked what does like, a strip club look like? Can you tell us more? Exactly, as I've just described, a horseshoe-shaped bar with a stage in the middle for a uh, Patrick Bamford to strut his stuff up and down and other prancing ponies of the night. You could have Matthias Click in there as a pole dancer. 
Do you like that? Very good. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Trying to bring a bit of levity to today's darkness. Nobody will care about that in that club anyway, because the floodlights will light up the sky like the searchlights above the Hollywood sign. The one in Dewsbury, I mean, that you see on the train. Terrible thought just occurred to me as well, because if we don't go up, if we get knocked out in the playoff semis, we've only got one, two, three, four more Bielsa's left, haven't we? No. According to his brother, no, you're wrong. And we should be satisfied with ourselves because Bielsa's saying whether he wants to or not. Are we allowed? I mean, is kidnapping allowed? Is that frowned upon? It's not necessary. It's a matter of honour because his brother, Raphael Bielsa, who was a, a politician in Rosario, did an interview in Argentina and said that he speaks to his brother, Marcelo, Almost every day we talk and he says that obviously the exclusive issue that they talk about is Newell's old boys, which is a little bit upsetting. I would hope that they might talk about Leeds now and then because Newell's are at the moment, they're 15th in Argentina's Primera Division and a great risk of actually being relegated. And their fans, much as we are uh, growing to love Bielsa, their, their love for Bielsa is now growing into they want him to come back and save them. So Raphael did a, what was should have been a political interview, I think, but the first questions were, is your brother going to come back and save Newell's old boys? And his answer was actually possibly the most clear view that we've had of what Bielsa's contract at Leeds actually is, because there's been some disputes, whether it's a year with an option, whether it's two years or what. And he says, uh, well, Raphael says that he actually made the contract. He helped negotiate it. And he says, if Leeds do not go up to the Premier League, then Leeds have the option to keep Bielsa. And he says that taking into account how good it's been, it's difficult not to think they'll want to keep him. So if we don't go up, we can say to Bielsa, you are staying anyway. Um, if we do go up, then Bielsa has to stay. It's mandatory. Like we can't remove him for somebody else. And the question the, the interviewer in this did ask again and again, it's like, yeah, but can't he just like resign? Can't he just quit? Like, can't he just walk out and when Newell's need him? And uh, Raphael says, no, there is no break clause. To come back, he would have to break a contract. And my brother is not doing that. The Bielsa family does not break the rules. Respecting a contract, they are values that are learned as a child. You are taught by your mother, your grandparents and the whole family environment. So we could look forward to if we stay down in this division, which obviously we will not because we are going up, if not as champions and through the playoffs. We can just keep Bielsa in the championship um, much completely against his will because he will, no matter how much he might want to break this contract and go back and save Newell's, he can't because his mum says he couldn't. It brings to mind the uh, the Giggs family. This story. Similar, very similar. I mean, the other option is, there is a realistic option where if Bielsa says to Radrizzani and Orta in the summer, he says, look, you've got an option over me that you can exercise to keep me, but I really don't think I can do this again for another season in the championship. This is beyond me. I've given it my best shot. We've lost in the last minutes of the playoff final at Wembley. If I try to pick this up again, it's just not possible. I think Leeds would probably go, you know what? Yeah, there's an honourable way out of this. We won't hold you to that option. If Bielsa leaves, I think it's going to be an honourable way out. He he won't walk away from us, but I can see a, a scenario where he might go. He's just like, look, you know, you have the rights over me. This contract says this, but let's be grown-ups. Let's be honest about this. I can't do it again. We're not going to make him march around Weatherby like it's a prison yard. I would, personally. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm all for keeping him and making him do it against his will. Hey, do you know what? You know, uh, over the Easter holidays, went down for a few days to London, did the Wembley tour, and obviously that incorporates part of the pitch side environment, you know, the, the dugouts and the tunnel mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Surprisingly Spartan dressing rooms mm-hmm. at um, Wembley. Yeah, they're, they're actually very generic and a bit plain. Leeds are probably better, I reckon. Is there room for a bucket? Well, I was going to say, the front two rows of the dugouts are heated, the seats there. He's not going for that fancy nonsense, is he? I mean, it's kind of gets missed in all the uh, the palaver, but apparently it is to help his bad back, this bucket business. It, it makes it more comfortable. I don't know if a heated seat might be even more uh, Therapeutic, yeah. Yeah, a massage chair, perhaps. Anything that just will make him want to stay. I have to admit, when I got off the tube and started walking towards Wembley, I had a rush of fear <laughs> just about the place because the last time I went was for Doncaster. Well, just think that... If you have uh, another trip there, perhaps 12 months from now, you can say, the last time I was here was for Leeds United's glorious promotion to the Premier League. Absolutely. Well, on to more serious matters, and isn't it, I don't know, there's something almost tragically poetic about the passing of Les Reed as the wheels have come off our season. It just feels somehow very symbolic of, of all that. 
But a man who, along with Barry Mason, who co-wrote Leeds, Leeds, Leeds and Leeds United, better known as marching on together, obviously, it's the soundtrack to our club, isn't it? It's the very identity. It cuts to the very core of what we are. It's almost uh, you're being mauled by the Tigers of Leeds United Football Club. Um, I was trying to think, because Les Reed wrote Marching On Together, produced and arranged it with Barry Mason. And there's only really Liverpool with You'll Never Walk Alone that comes close in terms of like the connection between a football club and a song. You're not going to, I mean. And even then that's not their song. They've adopted it, but we used to sing You'll Never Walk Alone on the cop in the eighties. Exactly. They had to, they had to kind of fight their way to uh, ownership of, of that song. So is there another team? I mean, is it, do Man United fans really like hold on to Andy Cole's solo career and be like, yes, that's our identity. Liverpool maybe with pass and move. It's a Liverpool groove, <laughs> which was a good song, but this is not another team or a club where you have the, the lyrics of a song kind of emblazoned around the stadium where people have tattoos of it, everybody, you know it. However it's come to you, if you're a Leeds fan, you know that song, which just isn't true of anybody else. And yeah, so I did notice in the commentary on the uh, the Brentford game today, um, it wasn't Don Goodman, it was whoever the main commentator was, said uh, was remarked on Les Reed's passing and said it was a shame because he was, he was at... The Sheffield Wednesday games, the fuck's it? That was Barry Mason that was uh, Leeds United's guest at that game. And it's, I've had this problem. We've talked about it on the podcast before how when Ronnie Hilton died, loads of people said, I was like, oh yes, the guy who wrote Marching On Together. No, he's the guy who wrote The Lads of Leeds and Leeds United Calypso. So we have this mixed up thing where we, we don't really manage to apportion the right amount of credit for the people who actually did these things to us. But, uh, Les Reed with Barry Mason, who is happily still with us and looked fit as a fiddle when he was um, at the Wednesday game. Writer, arranger and producer of Leeds United, which was a, a reworking of Sally Sunshine and Leeds United, which was an original composition and became known as Marching On Together. Thank you for, for giving us those tunes. We should say thanks as well for Calvin Phillips has done another good thing. He's a nice lad, isn't he? We've said it before loads of times, but what a thoroughly nice lad, all the community stuff that he's been doing this week. And it was, to be fair, it was the only news that the, the official uh, account could probably report on social media in between these two hideous, hideous defeats. Calvin in a little, um, a little polythene tabard is as nice as it's got for news. So shamefully dropped, getting back in the team. Contrast with Alioski, who was uh, throwing Maltesers around the barbers, which really, really entertained me that tweet when this came to light. If you haven't seen it, what was it? He was having his hair cut. Bless him. And while he was, well, not cut, but coloured and bleached and whatever. I did, I was was walking into town after the weekend game. I heard some people overhearing it. If you're listening, sorry for listening into your conversation, but they described his haircut as a short back and naughty, which I thought was very good. And yeah, while he was waiting for it to be sorted out, he was... uh, the person who tweeted it said that he'd bought 40 quid's worth of sweets for everybody who was in this barber shop on the uh, lower Brigate and uh, that he was throwing Maltesers around and trying to get them into the mouths of uh, of the other customers. Presumably without, without with them their- knowing, I would imagine. <laughs> Blinding them as he goes around. Yeah, he, uh, he looked properly upset when he came off injured today. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure he we wasn't more, crying. more tunnel rattling as well, didn't we, at Brentford, which yes. was the, probably the high point of the whole thing. The other thing from that um, barbershop thing, well, I don't know if you've seen the photo, you'll see he's playing pool. And as I first read it, I thought, has he been throwing pool balls around the barbers <laughs> and people? <laughs> Meeting out justice or whatever. But then I reread it and I know it's Maltesers, less damaging. Same shape, smaller. You might play pool with Maltesers. That would be his uh, his next level. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. 
Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey lads, how's your Easter break been? Have you had a jolly nice time? It's been absolutely fantastic, yes. Apart from the Friday and the Monday and the two days of panic in between. Got crucified. Got crucified again. (laughs) And we talk about all this because it's time to get our hands firmly round the God Rod, the blasphemy baton, a special Easter edition. If you're a new listener, I will try and keep this as brief as possible so you understand what the hell it is that we're talking about. No, we're not just padding and wasting time, by the way. Started in January with a test of God's preference. Was it Stoke? Was it Leeds? Because Nathan Jones, very religious manager of Stoke, some of the power of the Lord to vanquish Leeds United. And the rules of the God Rod are whoever is undefeated with the God Rod in their possession retains it. And it's passed through the hands of of Stoke and Nathan Jones to Preston, who had it for ages, two months in fact, but then it's changed hands a number of times since then. Reading, Hull, Middlesbrough, the most uh, recent possessors of the God Rod. They beat Stoke on Friday, meaning it didn't go back to Nathan Jones because that would have been a strange sort of circular type of bit of reasoning, wouldn't it? You don't get your hands on God twice. Not his rod anyway. And then they had Forrest away today, did Middlesbrough and Forrest trounced them. They trounced them 3-0. Forrest currently in possession of the Blasphemy Baton, which means, given how the fixtures play out, it could end the season with Forrest, mm-hmm. Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane being God's chosen managers. The other options are because they face uh, QPR and Bolton. It could go to either of those two clubs. Or if QPR nick it, it could end up with Sheffield Wednesday because that's who they face. So in short, Forrest, QPR, Bolton, Sheffield Wednesday, you've four options. I'm amazed. I mean, I know we've had a rough weekend, but Middlesbrough trying to get into the playoffs. They're now, Derby have got a game in hand on them, level points. 3-0 to Forest. Forest lost four games in a row coming into that. That's extraordinary stuff. Mind you, they'd lost five in a row, hadn't they, coming into the game against us? Yeah, this is true. So they're obviously raising, I could understand them raising their uh, game against us, but beating Middlesbrough like that is kind of, I, I do feel like there's, there's been a little bit, Sheffield United have started giving out, it's like, oh yeah, every, all the media love Leeds. And there was that uh, Preston player, Alan Brown, has gone like, oh, I don't think Leeds are that good. It's all just media. But Middlesbrough fans were really crowing about having Tony Pulis for this season. And then, uh, yeah, not even going to get into the playoffs, which we are going to win and getting beaten 3-0 by Nottingham Forest as part of their attempt to get there. I think that's a worse result than us against Brentford. I can't see Forrest keeping it because Roy Keane has never gone longer than a couple of weeks without falling out with anyone, has he? So yeah, I think he, he basically regards Jesus as just like somebody he has to chin at some point. <laughs> it's like he's been he's new, this guy. He's uh, been too cocky for too long. That Jesus guy, has got it coming. That comeback, showing off, wasn't he? Just showing off. Three days and dead, coming back like that. If you're down, stay down. Shove your resurrection, Peter Bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Do that in an Irish accent so you can offend our Irish listeners. <laughs> no, don't actually. Uh, so yeah, Forrest, Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. QPR managed by John Eustace. We nearly signed him once under uh, Grace and he had a medical and all sorts. And then I think he went back to Watford and decided to stay there for some reason. I was quite shocked. Um, there's an article in issue 10 of the square ball coming up about us losing to Watford in the playoff final, which is obviously not intended to be any sort of prediction of the next few weeks, but mentioned that Malky Mackay was playing for Watford in that game, which He was managing um, Watford when John Eustace was there, in fact. It's all very strange, isn't it? Oh, we've got Phil Parkinson, who is in charge of Bolton, or Steve Bruce, who's in charge of Sheffield Wednesday. None of those feel like God's chosen sons, do they really? None of them. There wasn't somebody uh, discussing this on Twitter. It has become quite a topic <laughs> on the old social media. It was about where the, the God Rod resides over summer and like at what point, whether if it gets taken over into pre-season friendlies. So it could be that we have to pursue the blasphemy baton around Europe, depending on... I think God only recognises um, <laughs> <League fixtures. laughs> sanctioned Leeds fixtures, I would say. 
I don't know. Potentially don't... domestic cups. What, he, what, he won't take it offshore. What if about you're if, in, uh... if, if they're playing in the Intertoto Cup, which has not existed for 10 years, it can't end up in Slovenia. What something. if Nottingham Forest take it into uh, summer and they end up going on a summer tour, perhaps of Bethlehem? They play, they're play. they playing as <laughs> Bethlehem United. Are you going to say that they can't take a grip on the, the God Rod? But maybe I think he's right in that God might have a preference in each country. Like he's obviously going to favour Bethlehem because of, you know, the whole... He might favour the national team of the Vatican. Are they not going to get a grip on the blasphemy button? We could have Merry Hell to play if we have the Anglo-Italian Cup make a comeback, couldn't we? Exactly. And th- there's a question, is it, because obviously pre-season friendlies, I can understand why there might be a question there. But if it's a tournament, you know, if there's a cup, like the Bakita tournament, I'm sure you've got a trophy for winning that. So if it's that kind of level, do you get a, the God Rod as well? I know how we can settle this, because think about it. The church, mm-hmm. Catholic branch anyway, they settle things by having the Pope decree on holy matters. We need to ask Adam Pope. <laughs> For a ruling on whether pre-season friendlies count. Okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll find out who takes this into the summer and what their fixtures and plans are. It might be that they're up against Notre Dame Cathedral FC. And, uh, Fundraiser, that, maybe. Yeah, exactly. So if it's all if it's all for a good cause of uh, of rebuilding a a church whose whose owners could obviously afford to pay millions to repair it many times over without asking anybody for help, but we we can ask uh, Pontifex from uh, BBC Leeds what he thinks. Well, after that turbulent weekend, we need to pick heroes and villains. I don't, re- I don't remember turbulence. I just remember it being bad. It's been, well, a, it's been a pretty clear trajectory as this weekend. Down and then down again. And into a wall. <laughs> well, we'll pick heroes and villains now. First, as is customary, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Someone who's made us feel sad. Quite a few candidates, one would imagine, for this one this time. Starting as we do with Ken Bates, as is the custom for this. What are we going to try and shoehorn in for him this time? It was a mention on Twitter, actually, from uh, from Andy Morgan, H7, who said, uh, while working at Ellen Road during my uni, uni days and serving Ken Bates, um, he asked what I was studying. I told him sports journalism, to which he, uh, he jovially replied, why not try a more honourable career like being a rent boy? Classy guy. Lovely guys, Ken. And that was actually sent to us to uh, try and pad out the player sightings uh, feature, wasn't it? So we've used it here to carry that one off for another crappy week. It never hurts to be reminded of Ken Bates' particular sense of humour. Tell you needs to definitely go in based on today. Front of mind, Keith Stroud. The that one, that, yeah, that's the one. Yes. Yeah. Or, that's I believe his mother calls him. The, the pig fucker, Keith Stroud, <laughs> and the, the double pig fucker, Ollie Watkins. Yeah, he did get booked for a dive today, but that doesn't make up for the fact that he cost us two points in uh, the batch at Ellen If Keith Stroud himself wasn't such a prick, he would have remembered the previous dive and booked him twice and sent him off today. I mean, if he wasn't such a fucking he would have given us the penalty in the first half. And the entire course of our week, we would have had the resurrection we were hoping for. We would be on for, I mean, we're going to win this division anyway, but we'd be, we'd be even closer to, uh, to winning it than we are. He's not helped our march to the title. Although if Bamford had just had a shot as he should have done, are you nominating Keith Stroud Bamford? may not feature in this, so are you, Bamford. Are you nominating Bamford as a villain? Yep. Okay. And also there Ooh. were a couple of occasions today where he just kicked it out of, kicked for touch like a, like it was a rugby union, which I think is an old habit, dying hard for him. Just just keep it, just kick it out in the corners, play for the scrums and the line outs. I don't know which one you get. I think it's a line out if it's at the side. I lose track. I'm not, I'm not interested, but Bamford is clearly because mm. um, that's what he was up to today. I had nominated on the list of candidates bef- that we wrote before the Brentford game. I wrote uh, that I wanted to nominate Leeds United Football Club as villains for the Wigan match. Um, expecting that I would then be able to balance it out by also nominating them for the Andy Hughes Hero Award. But no, I've just had to double down. So Leeds United Football Club are nominated as villains for both the Wigan and the Brentford games. The entire club from top to bottom. That fucking banner as well. Jinxing it. Yes. People talk about us jinxing it. You fly a fucking banner above the stadium saying Bielsa is God and look what happens. Yes. And the... uh, It proves to be human. It was an advertising opportunity as well because the person who paid for it then tacked on the name of whatever their company was as well. I think that might have backfired. Was it um, Winston's? Is that who it was? (laughs) They would have uh, too much good taste. So is it, or is it Churchill's now? (laughs) They would... uh, A famous, that's a famous uh, Leeds landmark, Dewsbury Road away. Well, if you are an out of towner, do pop in there for a drink on your next uh, on your next visit. There's a lot of very friendly people in there. I understand who take the family, not Take the distracted. family, pop in for a drink. 
not been distracted by uh, the opportunities of of moving to an establishment at the northeast corner of um, Elland Road that never got built. So there's all, all those people. I don't know who we give it to. Pablo for missing a penalty. <sighs> yeah, but look how sad he was at the end of the Brentford game. I don't want Pablo to be sad. Oh, he's completely gone off the boil, hasn't he? He's lost his mojo and he's the one player who can unlock stuff. That's why he should probably be nominated. You can't. No, we can't. <laughs> but if that... He's, I mean, no, he's a sacred cow. You can't have him. If you can't nominate Pablo Hernandez, then is Bamford not offering? That's why I went for the safer thing of just Leeds United Football Club. I feel... Collective you, uh, responsibility. You win as a team, you get nominated as villains as a team. Yeah, but again, Bamford, that's not the Tory way, is it? Oh, yeah, I guess you'd have to be out there as an individual. There's no such thing as society in uh, Patrick Bamford's world. So it's entirely his responsibility. He's he's dug that hole. Um, he can go, he can get on his bike and he can find a new job. With his JCB, <laughs> he's dug that hole. Oh, it's all good. But I, I don't know. I think Stroud. I think give it fucking Keith Stroud. I give it Stroud. He was so pleased. I'm not going to go back and watch it because it <laughs> was bad and unfortunate the first time. But if anyone feels the need, go back and watch how happy he was to not give that penalty. It was like, mm. no, no, no. <laughs> he was oh, just, I've seen this. I've was, seen this properly. And uh, yeah, definitely not a penalty. Waving his hand at Bamford, wasn't he? Get up, get up. Nothing there. Get up. And then you see the replay and he's literally been kicked in the face. <laughs> Not quite the face, but kicked. So, yeah, Keith, uh, the pig fucking Stroud. Do you know where Keith Stroud's from? Plot twist. <laughs> Not Stroud. He's from Bournemouth. Uh, ah, it all makes sense now, doesn't it? It all makes sense. Well, he's the villain. Correct. Can we uh, possibly pick a hero from what's been a fairly um, hmm, difficult long weekend? There has been some good news over the weekend, and I think it's worthy of uh, nominating for heroism. Yasuki Idiguchi, he is back in Grunther Firth's squad after his, uh, after his broken knee. And he doesn't seem to have immediately broken his knee again this time either. So um, hopefully... This probably uh, won't go out for a day or two. Remember that. <laughs> hopefully. There was a photograph of him smiling. And I was a little bit worried about whether his teeth would survive that. But um, yeah, so for being thousands of miles away from home, surviving the whole cultural Leonese ordeal, and then injury as soon as he's loaned to Germany, and then as soon as he comes back injured again, and now he's there ready for Grunthefirth's run-in. Maybe for our running, if we're, uh, if we feel like Adam Forshaw isn't quite pulling his weight in midfield, if Pablo Hernandez has gone off the boil, we get your city Idiguchi back and he can be the player to, uh, to score the 12 goals that we need to win this league. Speaking of Forshaw, I would like to nominate Calvin, not only for his community work, but also not for stropping out and, uh, like an, like an annoyed child that he got dropped for Adam Forshaw. That involves a degree of heroism. Well, he can probably be quite uh, satisfied with the fact that Bournemouth of uh, Keith the Stroud fame will pay 20 million for him in the summer. He can go to the Premier League, whatever happens. But no, I agree with you. Joking apart, he is. Uh, he took the substitution well against Wigan from what I could gather. I saw him and Tyler Roberts both went off at um, half time and they, were, they came back a few minutes into the second half and they were both like little bit of applause to the people in the West Stand who were acknowledging them as they were taking the seats in the dugout, just sit down, get on with it. And a lot of the players, I think there was a lot of arguing going on during the, the Wigan game. There was one moment where uh, Jack Harrison was trying to send Alioski down the wing and he wouldn't go and the ball went out playing a, a, a flashback to Luke Murphy and Mirko Antonucci. I heard him off in the country just yell, run! And, uh, and there was matches click and Pablo Hernandez were having a go at each other because Pablo didn't pass it to Click when he was going to shoot. And there was a lot of that going on, but also at the same time, there's kind of this stern-lipped responsibility being taken. So when Click's substituted, he runs off the pitch so that the player can come on as quickly as possible. And there's nobody kind of... Pontus Janssen, when he was substituted today against Brentford, he's just like, right, yep, I'm off, that player's on. And the opportunity is there for them to, to have a proper mard on. They're not doing it. So Calvin, as the representative of the good team spirit what little of it we have left. He can be nominated. And I also, on I guess related to this, I want to nominate Marcelo Bielsa because one of the quotes I've seen from him after the Brentford game is about him going to all the players at the end and comforting them. And he says, uh, I thought they deserved me to be close to them for the effort that they made. And uh, I feel like that. I feel like I deserve Marcelo Bielsa to be close to me for the effort I made watching that fucking rubbish. Can we name a winner then? 
<laughs> Any Gucci? That silence. He's not. He's not been in the country, has he? So it seems fair to give it to him because everything else has gone tits up. Yeah, he's he's the one player who's not let us down over the weekend and uh, the last few weeks. So Yusuke Iguchi, well done, hero of the podcast. Well done. Well, that about you, but my plans for Sunday have been ruined. You know, going to the Villa game at lunchtime, straight into town afterwards. Maybe not return home for a day or two because we've been promoted and you know just partying on, and that's that's been ruined. So that's not happening on Sunday. Could have been today. We could have been recording this podcast confirmed with our Premier League place. Could have been joint top of the league because Norwich have dropped points. We could have been, well, a decent win in these two games. We could have been top of the league right now. We'll just have to save it for after the Ipswich game when we are top of the league and champions of the division and heading into the uh, Premier League. Should we do a podcast from Wembley? Should we save the happiness for that? There'll be no happiness at Wembley. Come on. Let's be realistic. When when have you changed your opinion, by the way, Moscow? Because you were previously of the correct opinion that we would lose in the playoffs to Frank Lampard's Derby County or maybe Preston or someone they're not going to make it now but let's say Frank Lampard's Derby County what has made you change your opinion the worst, to a wrong opinion <laughs> the worse that things have got over the last couple of weeks the stronger my feeling that we are going to overcome this adversity and get promoted and seeing some some reminders of promotion campaigns in the past so the weekend match at the weekend I tweeted a bit of video of the the report on the equivalent Barnsley match in 1990 when they were all but relegated and they beat us 2-1 at Elland Road. And then we bounced back. Yeah. But we're not going to bounce back this time. We got promoted. And then also the promotion in 2010, which is the last one uh, that we experienced, which can be a long time ago because it's nine years. But the run-in then, um, losing 3-0 Swindon and the match against Charlton where one goal would have got us promoted and we had something like six strikers on the pitch. Simon Grayson just put on every attacker that we had and we did score one goal, but it was Richard Naylor scored it in our own net. And even the Bristol Rovers match itself, people forget, okay, we had to win to to go up, but there was at least three or four other teams that could have finished second that day and gone up. And that was how crazy that was. And we managed it. And so I think... It's getting to the, it's obviously, it's going to at least the final day against Ipswich, if not then into the playoffs. I just have this feeling that under those circumstances, it will be absolutely crazy. The Bristol Rovers match, right? So we're talking, there was Swindon could have gone up. I think we're Millwall in with a shot mm-hmm. and we were up against, um, who was the other team that was in the mix? There was, there was three other teams that could have finished second we went a goal down in the first half and we had a player sent off under the most ridiculous circumstances imaginable and then we scored twice and we won and it was one of the most incredible days that we still look back and remember but we don't remember those details of like how desperate it got we just remember Beckford's goal we even forget Housen's goal doesn't get spoken about fantastic strike from 25 yards I just think the worse it gets and I, I said uh, I think in the last po- podcast that the better it gets the more spectacular I think our implosion is going to be. Now, I think that the worse it gets, the more spectacular our explosion is going to be. We don't, we don't... An implosion and an explosion does both sound bad. (laughs) What's the problem? I don't care if it's going in or out. (laughs) Still in bits. I just feel like we're not, we don't go out with a whimper. There's a bang coming between now and even if it's the end of May rather than the start of May that we hoped there is a big bang coming. And um, as I said, when we were talking before about what needs to change from the, the Brentford game, get back to what works, roof up front, get Calvin Phillips back in the side and just get back to playing and, and go and beat Aston Villa who were, who were in a, a poor run of form. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Like once we're into the playoff, it feels like we're going to go into the playoff. We'll either win the league or we'll be in the playoff. <laughs> I still think we might win the league, but the playoffs are the great leveller. Form goes out the window. We may lose to Aston Villa in this next game and then we may beat them at Wembley because we have a very good record against Aston Villa at Wembley, uh, dating back to 1996. Why why do I keep convincing myself? (laughs) Do you think this game against Villa is irrelevant now or do we need to keep pushing on? The only thing that seems logical to do is to try and injure as many of their players as we physically can within a 90-minute period. I mean, they're guaranteed playoffs now, aren't they? And I think 
if we think we're going there as well, maybe it's both teams will be playing reserve sides and it'll be a question of who gets the biggest points deduction from the Football League for playing a weakened team. <laughs> Actually, it is worth saying at this point because of the league's inherent bias towards Sheffield United, uh, fueled by Sky Sports, they are playing the day before us. So assuming they do beat Ipswich on the Saturday evening, then it's done and dusted, isn't it? So we will have a very good idea going into that Sunday game. But imagine they lose. Imagine they lose. I've imagined they'd lose quite a lot over this Easter weekend and it hasn't really happened, does it? Ipswich don't beat anyone. Imagine they beat Sheffield United though. Because Sheffield United may get lulled into that sense of security. Oh, it's only Ipswich. Leeds lost two games. Well, we, this is done now. Yeah, we just have to turn up. I mean, technically they could win and you'd still be saying it's not over because of the we could beat Ipswich <laughs> by 12 goals on the final day. As long as there's a mathematical possibility, it's not over. So we can still win the league. Like Norwich, they've got a tough a tough home game against Blackburn. <laughs> they've got to get through that. Sheffield United, difficult, difficult but, but home laugh, match. But we laugh, look at what's just happened to us and we're not the only team that's prone to it, actually. We're not, we're not. Exactly. And it's worth, like, I've, I've not seen the, the refreshed versions after us losing to Brentford and the results today. But before that, after the Wigan game, we still had the best record over the last three or four, like both three and four games. We'd taken more points out of those numbers of matches than Norwich or Sheffield United. We were the, the team with the better form because everybody is messing up because nobody's got the the nerve. And we know that Leeds, that our nerves are going and we're making a spectacular job of screwing this up. It is a matter of refreshing, getting back to what works and then just going into whether it's having to beat Ipswich by 12 to win the championship on the last day or whether it's just going like, right, two games, playoff semifinals, one more game at Wembley and just saying, both of the games have got to win. Doesn't matter what's happened up to now. Doesn't matter what we did at Brentford. Doesn't matter what happened against Wigan. Doesn't matter that we lost 6-0 to Aston Villa two weeks ago. Now we have to beat them in the playoffs. <laughs> I just think it's, it's, it's there. It's desperate. And I don't know, I refuse to believe that we can feel this bad and things can be this desperate without there being something because it normally works. It works the other way around with Leeds. Things are great. We feel very happy. And then something comes along to really burst our bubble, which we're probably experiencing now. But we get the other side of it as well. And the Bristol Rovers game is probably a good example. We had all those years in League One. And then at the end of it, we had that Bristol Rovers match, which was absolutely incredible. And you could almost say it was worth going down to League One. So we experienced that absolutely incredible game. There's got to be some kind of payoff for this. It does not end like this. It fucking does. <laughs> Well, that Villa game is our last home game of the season and it's our last issue of the fanzine for this season, apart from the playoff semi-final. Let's not get onto that. Yeah, issue 10, please do check it out against Villa. Thank you so much for your support with it as well right across the season. Uh, we will be back to record post-Villa pre-playoffs. We'll still have the Ipswich game, don't forget. You, we, we will. The, yeah, the title this, decided. Yeah, where we go up. Yeah, I forget. If you want to check out issue 10, it will be available on the website. All the articles go up on there as well in web-friendly format. Check out, please, most of all, if you fancy getting behind us and what we do here, check out The Extra Ball, our stable mate to this podcast. Two ninety nine a month, first month free, works in all the big podcast players, helps to support what we do here. And our aim is to do loads more podcasting for our glorious return to the Premier League for next season, our centenary season, when it will all fall back into place in the coming weeks, won't it, Moscow White? Champions. You sure? Going up as champions. How much are you going to bet on it? Nothing at all, because I already lost... 10 quid betting on us to beat Brentford today. He was trying to put money on us at 2-0 down and I talked him out of it. <laughs> Please do check out all the stuff at thesquareball.net. We'll speak to you after Villa. The Squareball Podcast. Podcast.